Last week we began a new series called the 923 Call. And uh, we're going to spend time this week. And Caleb, Brother Caleb, our student pastor, is going to close out the series for us next week. Last week we talked about selflessness, the call to walk in selflessness. And if you read Luke 9, 23, uh, which we could look at it together, uh, verse 23 specifically, then Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. And so there at the very beginning, if anyone, or in the middle rather of that verse, if anyone wants to come after me, he must do what? Deny himself. And so it's not hard to understand that if I'm going to follow Christ, then I have to give up myself. I have to practice selflessness. It can't be about me. It has to be about him. And that's what we looked at last week. Our theme for the series is the 923 call. What it means is that it is a call for us to give up our lives. We give up our lives and live each day in submission, in complete submission to Jesus Christ and his will. We accept Christ and invite him into our lives. We receive forgiveness, and that is salvation. That's a once and for all event, okay? But daily, if we're going to grow in our faith, become like Christ, truly be his disciples, we have to submit to him each day. It's a daily commitment that we have to follow. And that's what this series is about. Last week, we looked at selflessness. Today, we're going to look at holiness. Next week, we're going to look, as I said, Brother Caleb's going to be preaching on walking and worship, what it means to live a lifestyle of worship. But today, we look at holiness. You know, the, the, with each of these, we want the proper perspective. We want to be able to approach uh, each of these holiness, selflessness, worship with the proper perspective. The proper perspective on holiness is this. I understand that I have been called to a holy walk. We can't be holy on our own, not in sin, but Christ saves us, sets us apart, and sanctifies us and makes us holy. And we are all called. The standard is holiness. My mind, body, and lifestyle will be transformed. How do I achieve holiness? It's transformed daily by seeking God uh, through his holy word and through prayer. We have to be transformed daily. We are saved, and that is justification. We, it's as if we had never sinned, right? Just as if I'd never sinned in, in our terms of our standing before God. Uh, we are completely holy, covered in the blood of Jesus. Our sins are, are washed clean. And so there's justification, then there's sanctification. That's the process each day of becoming like Christ. And that takes a lifetime because we won't be perfect till we get to heaven. So each day we should be growing. And this is, this is the process of becoming holy. This is what we're talking about. Now, years ago, this is a piece of sandstone. Years ago, they would take on ships on, with wooden decks, they would take sandstone and scour the wood in order to clean it. Sandstone would do a good job, you know, kind of sand it down a little bit, keep all the, uh, I'm sure the, the, whatever grows out in the ocean on the deck of a ship, you know, wood, wood tends to grow things, right? Mold and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And so you would have to have a piece of sandstone, that's what they used again, to make it clean. And they would call this a holy stone. And, you know, it may be because it cleaned up the deck of the ship. It may be because if I'm going to sand the deck of a ship, what do I have to do? I've got to kneel down, right? And so the posture of submission. And so they would call this a holy stone because of what it did for the ship. And it's interesting, you couldn't take another piece of wood to clean the deck of a ship. 
you had to have something different, something outside of itself. And in order for the wood to be maintained, in order for it not to rot, in order for, you know, bad things not to happen to the ship, in order to, for it to last a long time, you constantly had, somebody constantly had to clean it, regularly at least. And, and that's the idea, that's the picture I want you to have in your mind right now, okay? If we're going to be what God's called us to be, if we truly are going to be his disciples, then we need to holy stone our lives on a regular basis. And here's what that means. We need something outside. We can't identify all the areas where we need work. I mean, we're just good at fooling ourselves, right? And and so we need something outside of ourselves. The Holy Spirit working in and through us, through his word, God through his word will show us the areas that need to be cleansed. And he, if we will live daily in submission to him, he will clean us. He will cleanse us and our lives will regularly be holy stoned. Uh, that, that, that source, the main source that God uses is himself, the presence of the Holy Spirit and his word. But we have a part in it too, right? It's kind of like the fruit of the spirit. It's both and not either, or we have to be willing to submit daily. We've got to be willing to do the work of studying his word, practicing spiritual disciplines. So it involves our effort, but it is him who do, he who does the cleansing, but we still have a part. A new Unger Bible dictionary says this defines holiness this way way. Holiness, so far as it appears in man, is an outcome of God's gracious work in salvation, and yet not without proper exertion of one's own free will and the putting forth of strenuous effort. So there is effort on our part. I mean, God, he doesn't just say, okay, you sit back in your recliner and I'm going to, I'm going to make you holy. No, there, there's discipline that's involved. There's action. There is, there is, there's works that are involved. We're not saved by works, but we are partly sanctified by works, by how we live, what we do. We, faith is belief and action. It's not just belief. It's not action. It's both. The meaning carries both. And so we do have a part in this. And I I want you to to turn to Ephesians chapter four. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter four this morning. And, and we're going to look at what Paul has to say about what Jesus does for us and what we should do in response in terms of creating us, giving us a new life, making us a new creation. What all do we do? What is our life supposed to look like in response to that? Ephesians chapter 2, verse, or chapter 4 rather, verses 22 through 24 is where we're going to zero in. But if you look at the context of chapter 4, especially verses 17 on down through verse 24, 17 through 19, Paul is talking to believers in Ephesus, and he's telling them they've come out of a pagan, Gentile pagan lifestyle, all right? They've been saved, they've been set apart, and what he's telling them now is that your lives are supposed to be different. You're not to live like you used to live. You're not to live that pagan lifestyle with all the immorality, the idol worship, all of those things. Now you are to be different. He's telling them that their lives are to look different. And then he says this in verse 22 of Ephesians chapter four. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. He's saying, you know, the pagan lifestyle, there was all this kind of stuff. You can read through chapter four, see all the immorality, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But he's saying that's the old self. You, you, you've been saved. Now you have to put off that old self. You have verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now, verse 
24, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You say, well, pastor, I thought, I thought Christ made us new. What's this about me putting off the old? And I, mean, I don't earn my salvation, and no, we don't. Uh, Paul is not talking about salvation here. He's talking about sanctification. He's talking about holiness. Even though you're saved, even though you and I are saved and set free, we are a new creation. Remember, we're still battling the flesh. We're still imperfect human beings. We're still tempted. And so we have to make a conscious decision each day to put off that old self, to live, take up my cross daily, submit to Christ, and follow him. And so that's what he's talking about. The point here is that as new creations in Christ, we think differently. We should think differently. We respond to truth differently. And we act different from the pagan culture around us. You know, there's really not a whole lot of difference between the culture Paul's dealing with here in Ephesus and the culture we're dealing with now in America. And so it's very applicable what he's telling them to do. God enables us to live holy lives by his spirit. So what does that look like? We need to work regularly on holy stoning our lives. So what does that look like for us? Well, first, God calls us to be holy in our minds. It's very, a, good, a good continuation of what we talked about a few weeks ago with the, the fruit of self-control, the flavor of self-control. Um, you know, our minds are so vitally important in determining how we live, what we do, what we think many times, all the time really determines what we do. And so we need to be holy in our minds. Look again at verses 22 and 23 of Ephesians 2. You were taught, Paul says, with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So we've taken off the old self and we put on the new self, Paul says. We put away sin practically daily and continually, and it is a daily struggle. And it's something we have to do daily by the power of God. We live different since we are new people. So in in verse 22, that old self is referring to all that we once were before we were saved. Lost, corrupted. Old self is corrupted by deceitful desires, Paul says. And we were, we're corrupted in in sin, lost in sin, separated from God, corrupted by deceitful desires. So that's the old self. Now the new self, he says, is a renewal of my mind and my attitude. Remember, the Bible's talking about your mind. It's not just talking about what's between your ears, all right? It's talking about your whole self. It's talking about who you are. All right, you, the, the very core of your being. And so we are made new in the very core of our being, which, which has impact on what we do, how we live. And so my mind and my attitude, the language echoes. If you look at Genesis 1:26, it says God created man in his own image. And that is, you know, we are, we are image bearers. But when man sinned and, and was separated from God, that image was damaged right? Sin damaged that. And so by saving us, he, this is the whole idea, the language, you put it all together. We are a new creation in Christ. We are new. We have a new life. And in recreating us through salvation, that image is restored, but we still have to be sanctified. And so as image bearers of God, we are recreated into his image. Now we can once again reflect him and the culture around us in our lives. But it's a daily commitment to live the new life. I give up my life. I take up my cross. I count the cost. I submit completely. I die to self. And I live for him each day. 
by his power, by his strength, and by his rules. He calls the shots in my life. That's what this means. The new creation, the new life that God gives us is, is accompanied by a transformation of our thoughts, our attitudes, our minds, all of who we are. You know, Paul, there's very similar language to this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, start, you know, I'm going to start with verse 2 today. It deals specifically with, with the mind. Uh, we'll get to verse 1 in a minute. Um, but because it deals with the body, but verse, verse two, Paul says, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing and perfect will. I want to read that same verse in the Phillips paraphrase. It's uh, it's, it's, it's a, I mean, it is a paraphrase, not a translation, but it adds Uh, Just a little nuance to it. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. That's what the world wants to do. Everybody just conform. You know, everybody was just, they got a, they got an idea of how we're supposed to act. Paul says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. Let God do the molding. Let him do the shaping so that you may prove and practice. How do you prove God's will is good and perfect? You can't do it unless you experience it, right? We can talk about it all day long, but prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. Meets all his demands and moves toward the goal of true maturity. That's our goal, maturity, holiness. Let him do the holy stoning. Follow him, submit to him, experience his will. Paul is looking at the human being holistically. We're not just a mind without a body. I mean, what we think determines what we do. And again, we'll get to the body in just a few moments. But, but we, are, we are complete human beings. And Paul is looking at us that way in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. In Romans 12, we have do, two commands. Do not be conformed is the first one. Be transformed is the second one. And when we look in, at the Christians in Rome, Paul's dealing, he's commanding them not to think about like the outside world, not to live like the outside world in Rome. The Roman way of thinking was radically out of step with a biblical worldview, a lot like our culture today, right? A um, little more, little more uh, intense persecution there. We may be headed that way. But the worldview was very pagan, very uh, secular. And so Paul said, you can't think like that anymore. And in Ephesians, he's dealing with a similar situation in Ephesus, right? He's saying in Ephesians to the Ephesians, he's telling them to live different from the pagan culture, to live holy lives. In verses 17 through 19, look at verses 17 through 19. It's not on, on, power, on the PowerPoint, but I want you, you if you look at this, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it in just a few minutes, uh, he, Paul's reminding the Ephesian Christians and us that, that we came, when we came, when we accepted Christ, our minds, our feeling, and our actions, our outlook was bleak, okay? And the way we thought was tainted. The way we thought was corrupted by sinful desires. And he says that we lived in the futility of our minds. He's talking to the Ephesian believers here, but this, this is us too, right? We, we, we were trapped. We were lost, separated from God. And we lived in futility, but now they and we are new creations in Christ with a new mind and new attitudes. We cannot let the world's messages conform us. The world comes at us from all different angles, right? I mean, the world wants to corrupt our minds through substances, 
drugs, alcohol. I mean, the, the, uh, the addiction statistics are, are crazy. I mean, that's putting it mildly. Um, and more and more people are looking to substances for peace and security and, and to escape life instead of looking to the cross, instead of looking to Jesus Christ, who is, has the ability to give us purpose and meaning. And no life is not going to be easy. It's not going to be simple. The past year and a half has been anything but that God offers peace and contentment and purpose and his presence. So there's substances, there's sexual immorality. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We're being pounded from every side. Mandy and I are leading a group through a tech-wise Bible study. And guess what? We are going through it ourselves because we are struggling daily with balancing technology and all that it brings into our family and how to guard our children the best we can from anything that would draw their minds away from Christ and taint their minds with images that never go away. It is a daily struggle because our culture is pounding us with, with images and with a lifestyle that distracts us and draws us away from Jesus Christ. And then there's secularism, uh, you know, relativism, immorality, um, the media. I mean, everything that we see is, is outside, feels like is outside of a biblical worldview. You know, truth is relative. Your truth. I, I hear that phrase all the time, and, and I get a little bit of throw up in the back of my mouth every time. <laughs> Honestly, Amen. your truth. No, there is the truth, and it is God's word. And he defines it because he is truth. I am the way, Jesus said, and the truth and the life. If you want eternal life, you got to come through me, he says, but he offers it. But if we accept it, our lives have to be conformed. So the world wants to conform us, but the word of God will transform us. The word of God will make us like Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, his presence, and his word. We need to make a break from the mindset of the flesh, Paul saying. You, that's the old life. You, you are a new creation. Make a break from that old way of thinking. We need to give our minds to the things that are good, that are right, that are pleasing. Philippians 4, 8 tells us, uh, not, not, the, the things that, not to the things that once marked our old way of living, but to the things that mark who we are now as new creatures in Christ, a new creation, transformed, being transformed daily. And in order to do this, we need to meditate on the glory of God through his holy word word. That's the instrument that he uses, his Holy Spirit and his Holy Word to transform us. Here's, here's a key important truth. The way to walk in holiness is to live, abide, and dwell in the Word of God. What does it mean to abide? The Holy Scriptures can be our holy stone. As we abide, he holy stones us. It means to endure, to remain literally, to, to be long-lasting, unshakable, steadfast. We abide continually in the Word of God. Jesus said in John 8, 31 through 32, uh, to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Indeed, if you, and, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set free to do what? Well, to live the life that he's called you to live. Our minds will be set free to follow God. We won't be distracted by the things of the world. Our bodies will be set free to follow God. We'll be pure. We'll be set apart for his service. We'll be usable. Our souls will be set free so that when he speaks, the next heartbeat will be a heartbeat of obedience. No hesitation in obedience. That's discipline obedience. And the purpose of this transformed self and renewed mind is so that we will be able to, Paul says, discern what is good, what is pleasing, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And we'll be able to experience it in our lives. 
Our soul belongs to God. If you are a child of God, your soul belongs to him because he bought it with his blood. He paid for your life. He set you free from sin and death and hell. And now we owe him everything. We do not belong to ourselves. So the natural, the only true response is daily to die to self and to submit to him and allow him to do the work of holy stoning our lives by the presence of the Holy Spirit and the work of his word in our lives. You know, last week I, taught, I told you, you know, I was coming to your house, right? And I was going to steal your remote control. Well, I'm coming back this week. You've invited me to dinner. You don't know it, but I'm coming back this week. And yeah, I walk into your house, okay? And you, I walk through the door and you say something you probably said to a lot of people. Pastor Allen, you make yourself at home. Just like with the remote control, I take that literally. So I sit down on your couch and I begin to think, you know what, if this were my home, I would want the couch across the room. So I get Timmy because he helps me move things. And I say, Timmy, let's move this couch across the room. And we do. And then I get to thinking, you know what? The TV would look better hanging over the fireplace. So I take your TV. I get my drill out of the truck and I hang your TV over, my, over the fireplace because it looks better that way. And then I think, you know what? I want to know what my bedroom looks like. So I'm going to go in your bedroom and I decide whether or not I like your furniture. And I begin to rearrange things. About that time, you come in and you say, are you crazy? What are you doing? And I look at you and I said, hey, you said make yourself at home. And then you say, well, I didn't mean it literally. Well, if we are going to be followers of Christ who are really truly his disciples, we have to make his word at home in our lives. And guess what that means? That means that God gets to rearrange our lives however he sees fit. You will be able to test and approve what his good, perfect, and pleasing will is. The only way I can do that is if I let him go to work. Take that stone. And sometimes, listen, this is pretty rough. It's going to hurt sometimes. But he begins to rearrange. And I can't say, hey, listen, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean for you really make yourself at home. If I'm really going to be a cross-bearer, I have to allow God to make him, his word at home in my life. Whatever it says about me is true. However I need to respond is how I need to respond, and I need to let him do the work that he's going to do. But in the process of doing that, I do get to experience his good, pleasing, and perfect will for my life, and I get to experience how that is so much better than anything I could ever come up with for myself and for my family. To live a holy life, we have to allow God to do his work through submission, he goes to work. He's free to work because he, he could force himself on us, but he doesn't. He, he requires that we respond in submission. That's part of his perfect plan. And if the word says there's anything that needs to change, it needs to. We need to change. We need to be holy in our minds. We also need to be uh, holy in our bodies. Because what we think, we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? What we think determines what we do. Look back at verse, or look at, or on the, the screen, look at verse 1 now. We looked at Romans 12 too. Let's look at verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing, and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, again, Caleb's going to talk about living a lifestyle of worship, a living sacrifice next week. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to try not to preach too much of his sermon, okay? I'm not going to do that. But he's going to pick up where I leave off with this, and he's going to, He's going to really talk about what it means. But we, what Paul is saying here, just you know, kind of sum it up plain and simple. Give your whole self to God. Don't hold anything back. Everything you are, everything you have, give it to God as an act of sacrifice, an act of worship. 
and allow him to take you and do with you what he wants, to, to, to teach you how to live and then to, to, to show you how to become like him and to do the work of transforming within your life, of holy stoning your life. And, and we, we have to remember, if we're going to live in complete surrender, we can't just surrender our minds and not our bodies. Because, you know, again, what we say, what we think, who we are determines what we do. And so you can't just, you know, half-heartedly surrender. It has to be total and complete surrender. Now look back at Ephesians chapter 4. All right. Verse 18, Paul says that the Gentiles in Ephesus were darkened in their understanding. This isn't on the screen. Just look. Hopefully you've got a copy of God's Word. Look on the page or on your screen or whatever. He says that they were, the Gentiles were darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their hearts. They were, their hearts were hardened. They were in darkness. And as a result of this dead, hardened, callous, dark heart, Paul says their lives were marked by promiscuity and every kind of impurity and with a desire for more and more, more and more and more. They were trying to fill that void with all kinds of impurities. But the Ephesian believers were different. Again, he says in verse 22 through 24 of Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off that old self, that darkened, hardened, promiscuous, evil lifestyle, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You were taught to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And then verse 24, what's that look like? You put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Plain and simple. Simplify as much as I can the old self corrupted by evil desires, which means it corrupted the whole person. Our whole self was corrupted, impure. But the new self is marked by righteousness and holiness. That's what our lives are supposed to look like. So how do we do that? Well, the new self is the complete person, so we're holy in mind and in body. What goes on in my mind comes out, so I have to offer my mind first. We've talked about that. Now I offer my body to God in faith. I trust him to know what's best for me. So you got to trust him to know what's best. If you're really going to submit, you're, it's a step of faith. It's relinquishing my control, which we don't have anyway. So, you know, the, the sooner we realize that, the easier it is to submit. We trust him to take care of us, that his plan really is good, pleasing, and perfect. We trust him to take control of us. Lord, I'm giving you the steering wheel, right? I'll, I'll let you call the shots. I'm following. We trust him, and then we show our trust through obedience. Our bodies become a holy, uh, a walk of faith. We live in obedience. And that, the only way we show that is, I mean, yes, in our hearts, but the way others see that is through how we live, how we act. We live according to his word, what he says. We trust him and we resolve to treat our bodies well and not abuse them. And so we take care of the temple. The Holy Spirit is the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. He bought us with his blood. Therefore, honor God with your body. We honor him. We take care of, our, of the temple. So we, we honor God. We offer our bodies to God in faith, and we use our bodies to live out our faith. With the 923 call, you know, if it, it, Satan doesn't want you to feel, fulfill that, okay? He doesn't, I mean, if you are a child of God, he can't have your soul, but he can cause you to be ineffective for the kingdom of God. And the way he does that through many dif different methods, he's quite good at it, is to, to draw you away, your mind, your heart, your body, away from the things of God. 
to keep you from submitting daily. I mean, only you can do to can, can control your decisions. God gives us the ability to choose, but he's going to try to entice you away from that. He doesn't want you to fulfill this call, and he doesn't, he's going to attack you wherever you're weak. He knows your weaknesses, and he's going to attack you and try to keep you from doing that. The truth is, if we as Christians are living selfishly and independent of the body of Christ, the Word of God, not obeying him, then the problem is with our heart. It's because we are allowing something to entice us away from surrender and from giving our lives completely to God. Unless, we, unless I purpose in my heart each day from the beginning and each day to refrain from immorality, to flee immorality each day and, and fill my life with the good things of God, the Word of God, and live by His Word, unless I purpose each day to do that, I'm going to fail in doing that. It is a daily commitment. Being renewed is in the present tense. It's ongoing, daily. Yes, you are made new in Christ at salvation, justification, but each day I'm sanctified. Each day I'm being renewed. I'm either being renewed or I'm not being renewed. And that, all that hinges on submission and allowing God's Word to be at home in my life and, and transforming me from the inside out. What's inside comes out in my actions. I, I, I give my body to Christ. I treat the, the temple well, and then I use my body for His glory to serve him, acts of service. It's ongoing. Sin separates us from God, but through Christ we are new creations, reflecting the glory of God and living holy, righteous lives as his redeemed image bearers. I love that phrase. I'm redeemed, and I'm once again bearing his image. We're redeemed image bearers, reflecting the glory of God in the culture around us, as long as we're being transformed from the inside out. And the primary means of that, of the transforming, God uses the Holy Spirit and his word. Can't forget that. You're going to hear me repeat that probably 10 more times before we're done, okay? It's the Holy Spirit and his word. As the Holy Spirit speaks to us and we take God's word and we, we meditate on it, not just a devotional reading, but we really just dig in and we meditate on it and we take those verses and we think about them over and over and over again. God's taking his word and he is just rubbing it in to our lives, holy stoning our lives and getting it really, really down deep because what's on the inside comes out, revealing those deep, dark things that we don't even know about, changing us daily as we grow. And as we take a step of faith, he, he works in us to make us holy. And then guess what? We're ready for another step of faith. That's a little more scary, but he continues to rub and he continues to make us holy. And then we're ready for another step of faith. And then we come, become more like Christ each day, day after day after day after day. But the work is making us holy. The work is proving that his will is perfect and good for us. He's holy stoning us. But we have to renew our minds. We've got to wash them clean with the Word of God. And what's in our hearts comes out. So we serve, we speak, we act with our bodies in service to God. We've come to know Christ. We're new creations. We have minds that are being renewed. Now we've got bodies that are being renewed, right? Our, our, the holiness is, the Holy Stone is taking place inside. It's being reflected on the outside. So we're holy in our minds. We're holy in our bodies. Now we need to be holy in our pursuits, what, what are your goals in life? What is it that you want to achieve? Are they defined by 
you or are they defined by the process of God taking his word and rubbing it into your heart and your life and transforming your, your, your mind and your body? Because our pursuits, whatever we, whatever's important to us, whatever we are chasing after should reflect the glory and the holiness of God and the work that he has done and is doing in our lives. And it will reflect, by the way, the work he's doing or the lack thereof. And so our pursuits, we need to pursue God in all of our lives. We, how do we do this? Well, you've got to seek, we've got to, I've got to seek God in prayer. I mean, I've got to be intentional about that. I mean, I've got to seek his will and then I've got to wait for him to show his, me his will. You know, he, he may show me right away, but, but more times than not in my life, when I begin to really seek God in some area, there's some things that he needs to do. He has to do in me before I'm able to see it. And sometimes he shows me his will and I'm, I'm not where I need to be. And so uh, I don't recognize it or I don't obey it. I don't. And so he has to go to work and he has to clean me up a little more. He's got to do some more holy stoning. He's got, I got to get rid of some things. I've got to submit whatever the case is. But the key is that I have to continue to seek God in prayer. And we do that through daily communion with him. You know, we are told in scripture specifically in 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, to pray without ceasing. We've talked about that before. That doesn't mean I walk around all the time with my head bowed and my eyes closed, and I certainly don't drive that way because I'll run into somebody or something. But I still am called to pray continually. That's literally what that means. I should never stop praying. So what, what does that look like? Well, that means living with a constant awareness of God's presence in my life. It, it doesn't mean that I'm talking all the time. It doesn't mean that God is speaking directly all the time. It is a constant communion. It's an ongoing conversation. And sometimes, you know, when Mandy and I are at home, sometimes we're talking and sometimes we're just sitting next to each other, but we're aware of each other's presence, right? And her presence in the room affects me. My presence in the room affects her. The kid's presence in the room really impacts the house. I mean, you know they're there. And that's the idea is that, yes, there's conversation, but there's also just sitting in the presence of God and letting his, that impact my life. So there's that. But then there's also that, that petition prayer, right? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, important, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So with an attitude of thanksgiving, I do petition God. I ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? What, what do my pursuits need to be? Where do you want me to serve you? And then there's that focused intention. There's living in communion, but then there's that focused attention prayer that includes thanksgiving and includes praise. We need to recognize who God is, make sure our hearts are right before we start asking for stuff. Because many times it's like the ATM. We pull in, we want to make a withdrawal, and we pull out. No, we need to sit in the presence of God. We need to thank him for all that he's done for us. We need to praise him because he's worthy of our praise. That gets our hearts right. It gets our attitudes right. It makes it easier to submit. But in that, that, wherever you meet with God, and I pray you've got a place that's all yours and his, where daily you meet with him. Yeah, there's a continued prayer through the day, but there's got to be that place where you meet with God every day. No interference, no distractions, just you and him. That's where you pursue God, along with daily communion. Pursue him. Ask him, God, what do you want me to do today, beyond today? Or how do you want me to live my life? But we focus on him. We petition him with thanksgiving. We seek God. 
We pray through his word. As you're, do, you, do you think about your time in God's word as a conversation? You should, because this is his revealed word. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to your heart. Interact with it. Take your journal, and as God shows you things, write your response down on a piece of paper. Be honest. He knows your heart. I mean, even if you don't like what it's saying, be honest. I mean, converse with God as you read his word, that he'll show you what your pursuits need to be if you do that. Seek him through conversation, through meditation, through, through communion with him, through the study of his word, and he will show you, he will direct your paths. Listen as the Holy Spirit directs your paths, and then learn from Jesus each day as you become his disciple. Remember, that word apprentice is a better word, really, because an apprentice lives with the teacher. It's not just a student going to class and then going home. I'm living with the teacher. I'm living with Jesus Christ, learning from him as I serve alongside him. And he teaches me in that yoke. He's the more experienced of the two of us. And he teaches me. And so I learn from him each day as he prepares me for mission work. Isaiah 48, 17. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. He leads us. So when we let Jesus Christ direct our paths, we are making him Lord of our pursuits. We, we want, want to be holy in our pursuits. We're making him Lord. We're acknowledging that he knows what's best for us. I don't know what's best for me. When I was left to my own devices, I was corrupted by evil desires, and I made a mess of my life. And so, Lord, I know you know what's best for me. I'm recognizing that I'm submitting to that, him and that truth. His ways will always, if I do that, if I'm living in submission, recognizing that he knows what's best, I'm becoming holy in my mind, I'm becoming holy in my body, I'm pursuing him, I'm seeking to become holy in my pursuit, saturating my life with the word of God, the holy stoning continues, what will happen is that I will walk as a complete and whole, holy person, I will walk in holy, holiness by the power of God. That will be the result. Following, and this is what's all involved in following his will and his way for my life. So following Jesus' will and way for my life, for our lives, will enable us, will result in walking in holiness. We holy stone our lives by prayerfully making decisions about our pursuits. We seek God in his word. We pursue him with all that we are. And then we live in holiness as we follow the paths he gives us. A couple of questions I think we need to all ask ourselves as a result of, of this, this call, this 923 call, specifically today, the call to walk in holiness. A couple of questions. What, and, and uh, you know, we're not going to discuss this right now, but I want you to, to maybe jot these down if you can. If you, if you don't, if you can't, come back to me. I'll email me, whatever. Just do it today because I'm leaving on vacation tomorrow, okay? <laughs> but these questions. What are the benefits of striving to be holy? It seems like a simple question, but I, I think, think through that. What truly, according to God's word, according to what I've experienced, what are the benefits of striving to be holy? Because the flesh says, do this, do what feels good. So we know what the benefits there are, immediate gratification sometimes. So what are the benefits of denying myself and striving to be holy? What are the hard parts? What's so hard about being holy? Think through that. Because it is hard, isn't it? It's difficult. Jesus wouldn't be saying, take up your cross daily if it wasn't going to be a daily challenge. I mean, it's hard to live a holy life, especially in our culture. Another question. 
Is it hard on your flesh to live holy? I think we all know the answer to that, right? Think about this, though. The reason it's hard on the flesh is because that's what the cross is all about, mortifying the flesh. What does that mean, really? What does that, how does that impact my life? Jesus makes me a new creation. That means all that old stuff is gone. Think through that. All the stuff that corrupts our lives. Because in doing that, in thinking through all of those negative things, the positive reality of being free from sin hopefully will set in and sink in. And here's the final question, all right? Understanding what holiness is and what it requires, you, along with God, answer this question. Will I take up my cross today, tomorrow, the next day? Am I willing to take up the cross? Because, you know, we could, and we're going to do an altar call in a few minutes. We could do an altar call, and, and we could say, all right, everybody that's willing to take up your cross, you, you respond. And, 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 and in a sense, we are going to do that. And it's easy to do that here in front of people who believe the same way that we do for the most part, I'm assuming, who have a desire to follow God. I'm assuming that's why you're here. But tomorrow when you wake up, and the next day, tomorrow's Labor Day, whatever you do with your day, the next day when you wake up and go to work, am I willing to take up my cross? When it gets into the real world where it's tough to live for Christ, every day, with all the challenges, with all the temptations, with all the things pulling at my time, my attention, my heart, will I take up my cross? How do I do that? How do I live for Jesus Christ every day and pursue holiness and really experience all that we've talked about this morning? Well, I want you to think about it this way. If you look at Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells us how to do this. It all starts with the right foundation. All right? And some of you have been looking at what I've got up here, and you've probably already figured out where I'm going with it. But that's okay because it's still, I get to play with sand this morning. All right? If, if I'm going to have the life, why is it that some people, some marriages, some people go through life and endure all kinds of trials, all kinds of suffering, all ch- kinds of hardships, and some people just keep going and even become stronger through that? You've seen people like that, right? Maybe you are one of those people. Nothing knocks them down and keeps them down. While on the other hand, some people's marriages fall apart, some people's lives fall apart, and they crumble under the day-to-day pressure of life. Some people seem to thrive or at least survive, and some people just crumble under the pressure. Well, there's a lot of reasons for that, but I guarantee you the main reason is probably because they don't have their lives built on the right foundation. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, there were two different men. One built his house on the sand. One built his house on the rock. His house represents everything. Who he is, his life, his family, everything, right? Now the rains came, the winds blew, and what happened? The man who built his house on the sand, the house crumbled, but the man who built his house on the rock, it stood firm. It was beat up, I'm sure. I'm sure it showed some some results of that, but it survived. So let me ask you a question. Just practically speaking, I've got a pail of sand here. Would you rather have your house built on this? I mean, it's fun to play with. This is what kids play with, right? You go to the beach, you lay out, you have fun. So would you rather your house be built on this, the shifting sands, or 
Would you rather your house be built on this? I don't, I'm afraid to put it on the table but because it's heavy, it's solid. And by the way, not just one of these, right? If you go underneath my house, crawl space, there's a lot of these that the house is built on. But it's built on a solid foundation. It's not built on sand. It's going to stand firm. And so I want my life to be built on the solid rock of here's, here's the foundation, Jesus Christ and his word. Remember, it's the word that does the holy stoning in my life, the Holy Spirit through the word of God. That's, if you're going to live a life of holiness, that's what your life has to be built on, the solid foundation of Jesus Christ and his word. So one question, as I put this down, one question, what are you building your life on? What, what's your foundation? I can't answer that. Only you can. Honestly and truthfully, the Holy Spirit is in this place. He has inhabited the presence and the praises of his people. He's listening. He's here in a time of prayer. Let's all just bow our heads and close our eyes. In a time of prayer, in a time of honesty, in a time of truthfulness, before your creator, he is in this place. He is here amongst us, manifesting his presence in a powerful and very real way. What am I building my life on? If it's anything other than Jesus Christ and his word, if you're going to live the life God's called you to live, if you're going to experience salvation first and the holy life every day, things need to change. What is it that needs to change? For all of us, there are going to be things that come in and out of our lives. Lord, I realize there are things that are going to come in and out of my life that's going to attempt to draw my affections, to draw my heart away from you. Help me to recognize those things, to confess sin, to run away from those things by your power and strength and fill your life with my life with your presence and your word. Father, we come before you tonight, today. We come in full submission, in complete submission to you. I pray that that's our heart. Everybody here in this place watching at home, I pray that right now in this moment that we would all submit fully to you. And maybe for one person it's, or for several people, it's for the first time. They've never surrendered their life to you and received salvation. I pray that right now in this moment, they would cry out to you and do that, submit to you, saying, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I realize that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sins, and I invite you in to take control. Save me, Lord. Set me free. And if that describes anybody, I pray that they would respond in that way in this moment. For those of us who know you, Lord, what am I building my life on? What's my foundation? If it's anything other than you and your word, what needs to change? What do I need to do to live the life, the holy life that you called me to live? Lord, speak to our hearts in this moment. Help us to respond in a way that glorifies you that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?